Psychology Nerds. Welcome to Psychology and Stuff, the podcast on psychology out of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. I'm Ryan Martin, host of Psychology and Stuff, and I'm here, as always, with my co-host and friend, chair of the UW-Green Bay Psychology Program, Dr. Georgina Wilson-Jungis. How's it going, G? It is going quite well today. I am super excited about our show, um, our podcast today. Uh, do you want to know why I'm so excited? Yes, I do. Because it's not just you and I and one guest today, and Hunter, of course. Um, but we have uh, a collection of faculty, of UWGB psychology faculty. Uh, this summer, we decided that we should educate ourselves about how we might teach about race and racism in, the, in our own classrooms. And so, um, uh, our fabulous colleagues, Sawa Senzaki, started a book club, and uh, we read uh, our guest's book, and so I don't want to give it away quite yet, um, but we have some of our faculty who were in that book club on the podcast today to ask the author some questions, so isn't that super exciting? It's super, super exciting. I'm really glad. Um, I'm really glad. The, that Sawa initiated that idea. I'm really glad that it happened. Um, I'm really glad that we were able to get this guest on today. So, which is just cool stuff across the board. So really excited about all of it. Absolutely. And so without further ado. Well, let's talk to Hunter quick, right? You always oh. get mad at me when I don't bring Hunter on. Hunter, how's it going? <laughs> it's going Hunter, great, as what's usual. what's going on? Thank you so much for all the work you are doing. Uh, it has been, great so i really appreciate it but how are you are you doing well i am doing the best i possibly could be and it's my <laughs> pleasure i love doing no, the work i i appreciate that answer i'm looking for honesty when i ask people how they're doing these days and i want people to say eh, yeah i'm okay so <laughs> that's, that's where i am so very good well good well thank you for everything you're doing okay now georgina i think we're ready all right so um, first, I want to introduce uh, the members of, of the book club from the psych faculty who are here. Uh, we have with us today Eileen Cupid and Chris Vespia and Sawa Senzaki and Alan Chu are all joining us today. Um, and we all read the fabulous book um, by Cindy Kernahan, who is our guest today. And the book is called Teaching About Race and Racism in the College classroom, notes from a white professor. Uh, Cindy joins us today. She is a professor of psychology at the University of Wisconsin uh, River Falls, where she is also the assistant dean for teaching and learning in the College of Arts and Sciences. I hope I got your titles all right. Um, when you're really famous like that, you have a lot of titles. <laughs> Um, her research and writing are focused primarily on teaching and learning, um, including what we're talking about today, teaching about race, inclusive pedagogy, and student success. And so welcome, Cindy. So nice to have you with us. How are you doing today? I'm okay. I've always used okay as my answer, like Ryan was saying a minute ago, and it's only become okay to say that now that we're in the pandemic. That's always been my answer, and people always look at me, but that's always been the answer I've given. I have no idea why. So yeah, I'm okay. I'm good. As good as I can be, I guess. Well, we are really excited to have you actually back on the podcast because this summer, um, we were doing, Ryan and I were doing some uh, short video 
podcast and you joined us also in the summer. And so that was when we were in the midst of reading your book and I hadn't quite finished it yet. I didn't tell you that though. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So um, it is great to have you here and certainly very timely. Uh, this the book that you've written, Teaching About Race and Racism in the College Classroom, absolutely timely and so helpful for us as a faculty as we consider how we address these important issues in our classroom. And so I have my, my first question, and I'm going to ask the first question, is um, one of the reasons why I was so attracted to your book um, is that Um, you put the little tag phrase on notes from a white professor. And um, I I am also a white professor. And I often feel like an imposter when I talk about race and racism in my classroom. Um, Do you ever feel that way? Or, and if you do, how do you, um, how do you gain confidence uh, talking about race and racism um, as a white professor? Yeah, it's a good question. And I should say thanks for having me. I really appreciate you all reading the book. I'm so curious to know what people thought about it. So weird to put a book into the world and not know, you know, what people feel about it. Um, so the imposter thing, you know, it's interesting. Um, I, I have a couple of responses to that. Like one is when I first started teaching, and I've been teaching this the this content for like 20 plus years at this point, I remember people would say to me, well, you, you must get a lot of pushback from students because they don't, um, you know, they don't trust you to teach it or they don't feel like you can understand it. And I have to say, I think I get a lot less pushback than other than faculty of color, because um, I think that I know just based on the research that white people are given a lot of credibility around even uh, about racism. And so I think that um, in general, when we look at like how many people, what kind of resistance professors get, we see actually less for white instructors than we see for instructors of color. So that's, so that's one thing I think in, in many ways, um, it's easier to teach, at least in my comparison of notes and looking at the research. In terms of being an imposter, I I do think that it's easy, and I always have to be careful with myself to remember that um, there's two ways of understanding this sort of thing, right? Like, I mean, well, there's more than two, but sort of there's the scholarly understanding you can have about, um, you know, the history and the psychology and the sociology of it. But then there's also just the visceral lived experience of being a person of color in America, which I can never have um, because I don't have that experience. And so I can listen to other people. I can read books. I can read memoir. I can listen to people's stories and take them seriously, but I can never have that visceral experience. And so for me, I'm always trying to keep that in mind as much as possible. That's one of the reasons why in the book I talk about sending an initial email to students that I have who I can identify at least um, as students of color and just saying like, so I have the scholarly understanding, but I don't have your understanding. And I want you to know that I know that. Um, And you don't have to do anything about it necessarily, but I want you to know that I know that. So I don't know if it's so much imposter, but definitely just trying to be humble about that because I know that I just don't have that part. And you are definitely one of the most humble people I know. And (laughs) you have successfully navigated that. What other questions do our book club members have um, to ask of Cindy? 
So Cindy, first of all, um, I just wanted to say I really appreciated the, the book and it was a wonderful read to do this summer when there were, when you talk about visceral experiences, I think this summer was a visceral experience for all of us in, in different ways, right? Um, and so being able to get together with colleagues to, um, to dig into this wonderful book was, was really um, a balm to my soul in some ways. So, so thank you for that. Um, but I guess coming to current events, you talk in the book about the past few years and how talking about race has been different in the classroom um, in these last few years. What about these last few months? I mean, have you noticed, so I was teaching cultural psychology this summer in the first summer term. And um, I was trying to engage my students around conversations around George Floyd, for example. And they, they were not, they would engage with me, but not with each other. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious for, for you, what are you noticing, if anything? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, I'm actually not teaching about racism directly right now. I'm teaching social psychology. Um, and so, and I'm not teaching as much as I normally do. One little update to my title. I'm actually not the assistant dean for teaching and learning anymore. I'm the director of our new center for excellence in teaching and learning, which uh, I just side note have to say starting a center for teaching in the middle of a pandemic is a crazy idea. <laughs> and that is, I took that job in March just as everything was going insane. And <laughs> so that's what, so I'm not able to teach as much as I normally do. Um, but I will say just in general, I know teaching about current events is always really fraught. Um, it's such a good question. Like, how do you teach about this right now? And always in the past, I have sort of resisted when things have been really new and we don't know all the information yet. So, I mean, hats off to you for trying to teach about it in June because, and I didn't teach in the summer because I just think that would be really hard. I know in the past, you know, we're right outside of Minneapolis, St. Paul, where I, where I am, we're like 30 minutes from the Twin Cities. And uh, Jamar Clark, when that happened several years ago in Minneapolis, when he was shot and killed and there were protests outside of the third precinct in Minneapolis for days on end and someone shot into the protesters, it was a, a big mess. I remember I was teaching at that time and it kept coming up in class and often I would just, I would just sort of, and you know, we were teaching in person, which is easier to do this, but I would just allow students to talk, but not try to come to any conclusions because there's so much that we didn't know. And so I would just try to let students talk. And then when I would, when I would um, try to offer things, you know, I would, I would try to pull them, I'd try to pull from the content or pull from what we know from previous incidents. But I think it's really hard to teach about on something that's ongoing right then. So I think if I was teaching about George Floyd now, I would, I'd feel more comfortable being able to do it because we've had some time and some distance from it, but doing it right away, I, I have to say, I always kind of deflected a little bit um, because it's, it's so difficult, I think, to, to even know when, when you don't have all the pieces there yet, so. Yeah, Cindy, I also wanna say thank you first, you know, for writing that book and, you know, it was a really good book for us to discuss some of the experiences that you had teaching this subject and how that could relate to what we do here at UW-Green Bay. And I think particularly it was helpful because I've been in different states and this is probably the first place I came into with a less diverse population, student population. And I could resonate some of the things that you talk about that may be different than teaching in, let's say California or other places that people just instantly get what you talk about and they have the experience of interacting different minority um, growing up in that place already. 
Uh, so I just want to ask a question following up on what Chris asked. So thinking about um, maybe your interaction with, so not only teaching, but interaction with administrators and students in general through different roles that you have, do you see any difference in how people respond to this type of conversation compared to a couple of months ago, similar to Chris' question, but it's about, not about teaching, but how people respond to it in general, in discussion with administrator, or even uh, when you interact with students uh, on those issues? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, the, so uh, I have noticed a difference. Um, I feel like it's been easier, at least so far, and I, I, I'm always feeling really cautious because I keep I keep my eye on the opinion polls a lot and very interested in where people's public opinion are at. And, you know, in June, there was just this huge upsurge in support for Black Lives Matter, for example. I mean, it was it was really amazing. It was like above 60% or something of Americans. Now, if you look at it, some of that support has slipped back. And so I'm always sort of watching to see what's happening with that. I think there's been a backlash coming into August and September where you see people being more negative. But yeah, there was in that first month, there was, it seemed like, the world really shifted where it was less acceptable um it was it was more expected that people would be anti-racist and that's what i've noticed on campus is that at least in administrative meetings um which i've been in a lot more of than i used to because because i said i'm i'm teaching a little bit less and doing more administration with the center piece but what's been nice is that i feel like at least for me, I've been able to push the notion that we really need to be focused exclusively on anti-racism rather than more sort of generally on diversity and inclusivity, which, you know, are, are a little more general and often, at least to me, can feel a little more watered down. And I feel like it's been easier, at least so far in the spaces I've been in, to say, no, no, we need to focus exclusively on anti-racism and anti-blackness in particular and sort of think about our policies and how we're treating students and what we're doing in the classroom in those ways and I'm hopeful that that will continue because it does seem like it's being taken more seriously I think with the election too I mean that was a meeting I just came from where there was this discussion about the election and what's going to happen with that and could you know even in this weird environment are we going to have you know protest or unrest on campus and whatnot. I, I do feel like it's being taken more seriously. I don't know that the response will be great, but it, it does seem like folks get it a little bit better. I'm hoping that that stays. Yeah, Eileen, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just unmuting myself. So hi, Cindy, I'm Eileen. And um, I found the book as well, very insightful and um, interesting. Um, it made me flash back to my days when I was a TA at Temple University. Mm -hmm. And there was, as Alan was speaking about, um, um, I would say that more of my class was African American than white at that point in time. And I remember flashing back and, and feeling, again, um, uh, I was uncomfortable. <laughs> um, to say the least, and bringing up issues of race, because we were talking at that point in time about IQ tests and the bell curve. And, um, and it was difficult conversations to have. Um, now we're teaching virtually. And I want to talk about intersectionality in my classes and issues about race and gender. And 
I'm not sure how to do that in a virtual environment. I think that there are certain pitfalls about bringing up very sensitive issues when you can't really see the affect or the impact on the students. Do you have any advice or suggestions or what experiences have you had that can enlighten us a little bit about how you do this in a virtual environment? Yeah, it's so tricky in a virtual environment. I've been thinking about this a lot um, for, I mean, I'm going to be teaching about racism in a few weeks in the class I'm teaching now, and I'll be teaching more in the spring on it. Um, so the one thing I was thinking when you when you mentioned intersectionality, I think that's really important because um, as I talk about and as I think is really useful, it's really helpful to help people think about themselves as sort of a collection of social identities. And, you know, there's those spaces where you have maybe more privilege or less privilege. And that seems to help people be less defensive, white people in particular, about racial privilege. So one way to do it might be um, I have sort of a I forget the title I use, but it's like the social privileges activity thing. I just have like a little sheet. And so one way I was thinking about doing it was that like, you know, think about your identity, your race, your body size, your age, your gender, your sexual orientation, your religion. Do you think of yourself as having high, medium, or low privilege? And so I think you could just do that like on a Google sheet. And if you were teaching, it depends on how you're doing this, but if you were doing it in a synchronous way, right, you could have folks go to that Google sheet um, and fill it out um, either in small, probably in small groups is how I've typically done it in person. And so then they could talk about how they feel about, um, you know, do they feel like they have high, medium or low privilege, kind of a subjective way of thinking about it, but allowing folks like maybe 10 minutes to do that where they're filling that sheet out for themselves or in a Google Doc as a small group and talking about why they feel like they have this privilege or advantage in one of these groups and how those differ amongst those different identity categories. And that can be a way to get at that. I do think it's tricky to try to do this online because you're right, it's harder to see the affect. I mean, normally I would be walking amongst the groups and kind of checking in to see where people are at. But I think you could do that, especially if you were doing some sort of synchronous discussion. Asynchronously, I think you could have the students do that individually obviously and then in some small group discussion boards you could have them talk about what they noticed from that how they thought about it and then in doing sort of a you know a, a, a short lecture on it you could talk about that idea of being a collection of social identities and how we have privilege in some spaces and less privilege i don't think it's ideal i personally would rather do that in person but i do think you could adapt an activity like that so that you're getting at that intersectionality and perhaps reducing some of the defensiveness that people have around their advantaged identities so that they can see like here's a space where i'm more advantaged here's a space where I'm less advantaged. Being able to see that, I think, can help them flip back and forth between um, sort of the spaces where they have more privilege and less privilege and then see how everybody else does too. Go for it, Zawa. Hi, so thank you again for all the great reasons that everybody have already said, but it's really amazing to have you here. Thank you so much. Um, so just kind of following up with Eileen's question that, um, that I think you touched upon a little bit in terms of, especially in an online 
and especially asynchronous format that is it's difficult to see students' affect. Um, and then there are a mix of students who have experiences, maybe students of color or not, but have those personal experiences and having that understanding. You touched upon this in the book that students of different levels of understanding of racism and particularly students of color typically have kind of a head start in um, understanding compared to white students. And I don't necessarily mean to just divide into two dichotomous, but generally there's that differences in understanding. And um, in an online format, especially if it's asynchronous, it's how do we kind of work with diversity of students, even in our classroom? Yeah, that is such a tricky question. I mean, as I've tried to think through this just for my own teaching, um, you know, I had never envisioned teaching this course online, so I don't think I have great answers to that. But I do think that um, you, you can still set up some ground rules, you can still set up some, you can still start your class with thinking about like what are the ways in which we want to talk to each other what are the ways we want to be thoughtful about that definitely having them in small groups and i think definitely being in those discussion groups as much as possible so like if you're doing everything completely asynchronously obviously you're going to have to jump into those small group discussions on a sort of a regular basis and make sure that um you're adding in, I mean, you don't want to be in there too much, but I think the way I tend to think of it in class is my job is to make sure that if something especially is factually incorrect, I'm going to fix it. And that's often where we see a lot of the things that are, frankly, just students are wrong about things and it ends up hurting other people because, you know, they're, they'll, like one really common thing that comes up a lot, I think I talked about this in the book, is like this idea that if you're a student of color, you get tons of college money, which is not true at all. And if you look at the evidence, that's not the case at all. It's not like there's a bunch of free scholarships for students of color, far from it. And so um, that's a space where you can sort of jump into those discussions and be able to correct those misperceptions. I think too, there's a lot of talk about how, you know, students will be really mean to each other in discussions. I have to say I've not found that necessarily to be the case, but I do think that there is a danger when people are disembodied and they're in this on a screen that it can be sort of easier to make those sorts of comments. And so again, setting up those rules up front of just being cautious and thoughtful about what you're posting. Also having the groups, if possible, get to know each other a little bit before they start talking to each other in these discussion boards and they sort of humanize themselves to each other a little bit can be really helpful. So having them introduce themselves, maybe making assignment where they have to post pictures of each other um, or of themselves so that they learn about each other. Those are all ways that I would try to humanize those spaces a little bit so that students are less likely to engage in that because a lot of it is just misperception. And then if you humanize, then you're less likely to get sort of that meanness that you might see, I would hope. So those are my those are my best answers at this point. But yeah, it's new for me too to do this online. Typically, my students are very polite and they just write yeah. other people, and so the discussions <laughs> difficult to move forward because nobody wants to say anything that's going to sound incorrect. Yeah, and that that's such a good point, right? I know there's always this weird misperception, and students have it themselves, right? That like it's going to be this throwdown, crazy space where people are really mean to each other. It doesn't happen. People are usually polite, like you said, they're just quiet. And so that too, I think, is where really setting up the rules of like 
no one's this what happens on these discussion boards stays here we're not going to take it outside of the classroom and making sure that you ask and this is tricky but asking really good discussion questions that get them at you know into some of those deeper levels of thinking but it's hard yeah I mean, I'm wondering, I have to believe one of the barriers that for instructors who want to teach about race is them dealing with their own fear around the subject and dealing with, you know, anxiety about be, about saying something insensitive or, you know, I actually would, would say one of mine has always been that, that not so much that I'll say something insensitive, but someone in the room will, and then I'll have to try and find a way to repair that with, you know, my, you know, class of 45 or 60 or whatever. How do you, um, I guess, how do you encourage faculty to, or instructors to work through some of that fear? Yeah, it's such a good question. And that's definitely what I've heard a lot too, is I don't want to teach about that because that's, I'm going to screw it up or something. I think a big piece of it is, um, and this is hard, but trying to be this model that sort of growth mindset and talk about it a lot. So even on the first days, like talking about where you have made mistakes. And I've certainly done that in my classes where I've said like, here's things I've said that were kind of wrong that I didn't know and I said the wrong thing. And so that's why, and you can make that part of the ground rules um, where you, you're sort of clear that, you know, perfection is not really possible when it comes to this. Every students always want to know like, what are the right words? What are the right words to use? What are the right group names to use? You know, is this the right word? Is that the right word? And so just sort of setting up this expectation that all this stuff is messy. We're going to make mistakes with it. But yeah, I mean, as an instructor, I think you do have to be clear that you're going to model that for your students and be clear about that on your own. I do think it really helps our own instructor confidence to be as knowledgeable as possible about this stuff. So that's one of my suggestions is to make sure that people um, are maybe reading and learning as much ahead of time so that they feel comfortable. Because I, I know as I've learned more, I've felt more comfortable with it. But so I guess so. those are maybe my, my my two, two biggest suggestions there. Well, I think I have um, just one last question that maybe I can wrap it up unless um, others have a, have a question. I'm, you know, these are, it's important and, and really challenging information to think about and, and to address. Uh, especially in our classrooms. And so um, Ryan and I normally end our podcast on a positive note. And so I'm wondering um, if you could share um, some of the things that give you hope um, in the, these uh, recent days and some, um, some positivity. Um. Yeah, that's really, it's hard to find, right? Um, but I, I do think there are some hopeful things. And, and this is something, I think it was Alan's question earlier about like, how are you seeing people responding to this differently? I mean, one thing that was really hopeful to me in the summer, I'm still seeing a little bit of it now, is, um, you know, I've been talking about systemic racism for 20 plus years, but suddenly like it's actually in the news. People are using that phrase. Now, I, I don't think people know what it means yet, um, which again, that's our job, right, is to help maybe students understand what systemic racism actually is. But it's kind of heartening that because I think, and I say this 
you know, in I think chapter one, right? Like the big leap that people need to make, I think, in understanding this is moving from this individualistic, good or bad person, good or bad racist person, right? That sort of very simplistic understanding of racism to one that says, no, this is institutional, it's cultural, it's deeper than that. And, you know, that can feel overwhelming, but it's also really empowering because it helps us to see that it's not just about our individual behavior. It is that, but it's so much more than that. And if we can understand that and help other people understand that, that's huge. And so that's one thing that I really hope can start to move a little bit is for people to get over themselves. And it's not this personal thing. It, it, that's only a small piece of it. The bigger thing is the, is the systemic piece. And so, yeah, seeing systemic racism in like news articles is super helpful to me. So <laughs> that would be what I would say. And, and I agree that something that has brought me hope is that I've been able to have a conversation with my fabulous colleagues about this and that we're talking a lot about it, whereas maybe we weren't before. And that is such a gift, I think. Yeah, I'm glad you all are talking about it. It's great. Yeah, me too. And I... I, I'm so impressed by the stuff the psych program has been doing this year around this. That this is really, really making an effort uh, in a, a lot of important ways. And I think it's also worth noting that it's, I think it's happening in some ways, although yes, we're doing a podcast about it now, but a lot of this work has been happening without sort of advertising it. This isn't performative. This is a desire for people to really, really become better teachers uh, in, in a meaningful way. And I, that means a lot to me. So. That's amazing. I would expect nothing less from Green Bay. <laughs> Wonderful. Well, so I want to make sure people know where they can get the book and where they can learn more about you. Um, so the book is Teaching About Race and Racism in the College Classroom, Notes from a White Professor. The author is Cindy Kernahan. Cindy, tell people where they can um, uh find you on the Twitter and things like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's just at Cindy Kernahan and I have um, a not very good little website, but it does have information about me. That's just cindykernahan.com. So yeah, you can find stuff there. Thank you. Excellent. Do you have any final thoughts? Anything you want to say to people as we finish up here? No, just I really appreciate you all reading it and, and taking the time to thoughtfully discuss it. And it's been fun to answer questions. Thanks so much. Awesome. And I want to, so I'm going to say, I want people to, to buy it. So get out there, buy this book. It's great. Um, lots and lots of good can come from it. So thank you. Um, Georgina, do you have any final thoughts before we finish up? I, um, I, I don't. I just, I think we should all, maybe um, you could check us all out on social media. And I'd, I, maybe it would be good if we each, if anyone else on here wanted to, to give their social, but yeah. my, uh, you can find me at Georgina WD, so G-E-O-R-J-E-A-N-N-A-W-D. Um, anyone else want to give a shout out? Um, I can share my social. So I had a Twitter just starting in this summer. I think that's one, if you could say upside, upside of the pandemic, having time to, actually use social media and try to pay attention to those um, things on social media. So my, my Twitter handle is Dr. Alan Chu, D-R-A-L-A-N-C-H-U. Awesome. And 
So, and you can get a hold of Ryan at? I am in all of the places uh, at RyCMart. That's R-Y-C-M-A-R-T. Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. I started doing TikTok and I'm having more fun than I can really honestly tell you. So, and you know what? All five all five of my followers seem to enjoy it as well. So <laughs> that's me like five times now. I just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that not surprise me. So um, no, pretty it's, great. Uh, very good. Um, Sawa, Eileen, do you have any, uh, Sawa, I know you've got a website you want to drop, right? You've got the, the lab. Tell people about the lab, please. Yeah, I do have the lab. So yeah. at University, I have the child's lab, children's lining in, um, oh gosh, I'm, blanking the name of the lab, <laughs> Science of Children's Planning and Development. So it's Child's Lab at uwgv.edu. And we do cross-cultural research about children's cognitive and social development. Outstanding. And Eileen, you should talk about Camp Lloyd quick. Oh, Camp Lloyd. Um, we are planning on holding Camp Lloyd this summer. Um, Cindy, if you don't know what Camp Lloyd is, it's a camp for grieving children. And my students who be, are the buddies, they, um, we have a large student intern program and we teach them about childhood grief and loss and they do awesome stuff with the kids in the summer. Um, we're rethinking the camp. Um, so it's gonna be different than it has been in the past. Um, and I'm excited about it. And um, any student who's interested in applying, if you go to the Camp Lloyd website, which is www.uwgb.edu slash Camp Lloyd, C-A-M-P-L-L-O-Y-D, it's all one word, you will find the application to become a buddy that's due on October 31st. So please get it in. And um, I'm excited that I'm being, talk about being hopeful for the summer. Um, we're hoping that we can have these kids back on campus. Thank you. That you is bet. awesome. Thank you. And I wanna say another quick thank you to Hunter, our intern who is doing a great job. And you can see that work at Psych and Stuff on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Great work, Hunter. Thank you very much. Cindy, thank you so much for, uh, for being here. It means the world to all of us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Psychology and Stuff is a production of Phoenix Studios at the University of Wisconsin-Green Bay. The executive producer is me, Ryan Martin, and the production manager is Kate Farley. Our audio production coordinator is Bill Salick, and our sound engineer for today's episode is Sarah Miller. Our graphic designer is Kimberly Vlees, and our intern is Hunter Garretts. Special thanks also to today's guest, Dr. Cindy Kernahan. If you haven't already, please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can also head over to our website, uwgb.edu slash podcast, to check out past episodes of this and all our shows. I'm your host, Ryan Martin, and I'm here with my co-host, Georgina Wilson-Dungis. Keep being amazing. Music